Good morning. So, as most of you know, um, or all of you if you were here earlier when I was talking, paying attention to me, I'm not Roger. Um, Roger's out of town this weekend. Uh, he asked me to fill in. I'm Josh. Normally I'm up here leading worship, but um, we're thankful that we had Daria and Derek and Javier here to help Tanner and leading us in worship this morning. So it's nice to know that um, if Roger ever feels like firing me, somebody's there to take the job. You know, job security is great. Um, so um, I, th- I think I'm closing out the Refresh series, um, unless Roger's got something up his sleeve that he didn't tell me about. Um, this will be our last week on the Refresh. Um, one thing I forgot to mention during announcements, did everybody get a bulletin this morning? No. Okay. So there are these cards in your bulletin. If you don't have one, um, raise your hand. You're going to need these this morning. And okay. All right. Yeah. It's a good thing we got extras. <laughs> Um, you're going to need these towards the end of the sermon, and um, if I can remember, I'm going to ask you throughout the sermon, hey, do you have your card? So, um, one thing, does anybody in here know what geocaching is? (laughs) Oh, man. How many of you geocache? I got a problem with geocaching. So check this out. I'm about to tell you this real quick. So my first problem with geocaching is that my parents do it. Um, My second problem with geocaching is that my parents do it. Um, But more importantly, I get phone calls from my mom about their weekends out geocaching. And um, there was was one that I got one time, and it was, um, oh, hey, yeah, so uh, we had this one up in a tree. Oh, actually, let me back up to tell those of you that don't know what geocaching, what it is real quick. Um, geocaching is like a scavenger hunt, kind of. Um, somebody gets like a toy out of a Happy Meal, and they're like, oh, I want to put this in a tree and let people find it. And that's basically how geocache works. Um, and then they put their coordinates in the little website, and then they add some funny riddle, and it's like, here, figure out the coordinates and go find this Happy Meal toy and write your name on it and then leave. You don't get anything except you, you don't get anything. You really don't get anything. Um, so that's geocaching. Um, but I get phone calls from my mom, and i got to be careful what I say because she's here this morning, and I already forgot what day Mother's Day is. So, um, There was one that I got, and it was, oh, yeah, we found one this weekend. Uh, it was up in a tree. We couldn't reach it, so I got down on my hands and knees, and your dad stood on my back to reach it. She doesn't see the problem with that. Um, another one, this was a good one. She called me to tell me that she went to the emergency room that morning because she stepped in a beehive. Uh, what was it, 13 or 15? 13 bee stings. Um, but don't worry, they went out the next day and found that cash. <laughs> don't worry. Here's, here's the best part. My parents live in Topeka, Kansas. It is a nine-hour drive to Cincinnati, Ohio. They're driving to Cincinnati in, at the end of May. And um, because they want to go geocaching along the way, Without stops, this nine-hour drive is 26 hours because they feel the need to go to the northernmost point in Michigan for one cash. So it bothers me a little bit that they do this. It f- it's, it's, I don't look forward to the phone calls sometimes. It's like, oh, what would you do now? Um, but, you know, every once in a while, um, they reach out to me and they ask me for help solving a riddle or a puzzle, um, because there are certain things 
that I know. Star Wars. I know Star Wars. When they have Star Wars questions, they call me. When they have questions about Pokemon, they call me. I'm kind of a nerd. Um, but the ones that I always, always get, the phone calls that I always get are math problems. Because math makes sense to me. Some of you are out there like, this gets crazy. Um, math is simple. There are rules, and if you follow the rules, you get the answer every time. If you follow the rules, you get the answer. So one time mom sends me this problem. She's like, hey, can you solve this? And I was like, yeah, sure. Took me a couple minutes, figured it out, sent it back. <laughs> a little while later, I hear from her. She said, hey, that's, uh, that wasn't right. I said, yes, it is. She said, no, it, it, it's not. I said, mom, that answer is right. It is absolutely correct. She was like, well, it's not working. These aren't the right coordinates. I said, well, that's on you. That's the right answer. <laughs> so just to, to back my point up, I got on Facebook and sent my high school math teacher a message, and I was like, hey, can you solve this for me? She sent me back the same answer, because when you follow the rules of math, you get the right answer. Turns out it was something else. They didn't round something. I don't know, but my portion, my portion was right. Um, but there, you know, the, the, the interesting thing about the Bible, the thing that I love about the Bible, well, one of the things that I love about the Bible, um, is that sometimes things that make sense or have rules to us here in today's society, you get into the Bible and you open it up, and it just turns it upside down. And you're just looking at it like, how does this make any sense? So, you know, math's got it rules. But in the Bible, math doesn't always make sense. So I've got this math equation for you right here. And um, some of you are looking at it like, yeah, that's not right. Um, spoiler alert, if you are in school, any kind of school, and you put that on a math test, you will fail. Um, so don't do that. But in the Bible, if you're talking about the Bible, one is greater than the 99. And we're going to break this down here in a little bit. Um, but... If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 15, um, verses 1 through 7. If you don't have your Bibles, um, we have the Restore app um, can link you to the version. It'll tell you the verses that we're using, or you can open up version. I don't know. I didn't see before I came in, um, came up here if the event was open today for Restore. Roger's not here, so sometimes things slip through the cracks. Um, I apologize for that. But we're going to be in Luke 15, 1 through 7. And do we have anybody up there to pass out Bibles? We've got Billy. Cool. Billy's excited. Awesome. Um, if you need a Bible, we have some Bibles that we would love for you to take home, to use, to mark up, to write on, to stick under your pillow at night, whatever. Um, we want you to keep that. If you need one, feel free to take it home and, and make it yours. Um, before we get into Luke, though, um, there's so... There's a couple verses that were written by the same man in different books of the Bible. Um, John 3.16, most people have heard it, even if you're not normally a churchgoer. Um, and it's, for God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him, or, excuse me, God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. Let me get it right. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, John wrote that, John 3.16. Um, he also wrote 1 John 3.18, and it says this. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our action. 
we love each we love each other, right? We're Christians. We love everybody. That's what we do. But are we acting on it? Or are we just saying it? You see, God loves us, and God showed us that love. In John 3:16, he sent his one and only son. And Jesus came down here to the earth, and he hung on a cross for us. And that was God's act of love. So God didn't just say, hey, I love you, and just leave it like that. He acted on it. And John emphasizes on that in 1 John 3, 8, when he tells us to act on it. Because as Christians, what we should be doing is, is we should be going down the road. We see somebody in need. If we're telling people, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I love everybody. If you're going down the road and you see somebody in need, you should be stopping to help them. If you see somebody at work that needs some assistance, struggling through something in life, we should be stopping to help them. And you just, I'm, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody else out there. You know, sometimes I just don't feel like helping nobody. And it's rough. Um, here's some background into to the passage we're going to be reading today. In Luke 15, Jesus is, is eating. Um, he's sitting there eating with some sinners, some tax collectors. Um, and they're not normally the type of people that the Pharisees and, and the religious lawmakers thought Jesus should be sitting with. And so they approached him. And, um, you know, the, the Pharisees are, are these real, they're, they're these real righteous people. And uh, I, I was working on my sermon earlier, and I asked Daria, and I said, uh, hey, when I say the word righteous, what do you think of? And I said it like kind of ec- ecstatic, and she was like, yeah, righteous. And I was like, I need to say it different. <laughs> so when I say the word righteous, like, yeah, oh, he's a. He's a real righteous guy. You, you kind of get that thought in your head like, oh, I don't know. He might think too much of himself. Maybe he thinks he's better than me. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, the feel around these Pharisees is, is they had these laws in place that really prevented them from sitting down with sinners. And a lot of time, us as Christians, we can be Pharisees. Um, if you come to church every Sunday morning, and you tell everybody you're Christian, but you come to church every Sunday morning, and, and you just sit there, go through the motions, you don't pay attention to anything, you don't open your Bible throughout the week, but you're here at church on Sunday morning thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, you might be a Pharisee. If you notice an article in GQ Magazine this week, GQ Magazine being one of the largest magazines in society today, whether you like it, read it, whatever, it is one of the largest magazines in society today. It's widely published. If you notice an article this week that they published adding the Bible to 21 books that you don't have to read, and that doesn't break your heart, you might be a Pharisee. That chokes me up a little bit. But if you say that you love somebody and you're not there for them, and you see a homeless man needs some food, and I'm just as guilty of this. You see a homeless man needs some food, 
he hasn't eaten in a couple of days. But you don't want to go near him because he might smell funny. It's been a couple of days since he had a shower. Maybe he's drunk. We, we don't want to deal with that. We might be Pharisees. So let's dive in. Luke 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who, represent, or who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now, in this, in this context, the word righteous doesn't mean cool. And it doesn't mean like Pharisee righteous. This is like righteous, like we know God. We've, we, we, as Christians, we love God. We're here in our herd, flock of sheep. Is it a fl- it's not a flock, that's birds. Um, it's a herd, right? That's a thing. Is it his flock? Whatever. It's a flock of sheep. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Anyways, let's get back on track. So there, in, this, in this context, righteous, they're really talking about Christians, but there's the one sheep that gets away. And um, and, and, in, and, in, and, in second, and then in second verse, you know, I mentioned that about the Pharisees having their laws. They, these Old Testament laws were about staying clean. And Jesus really, he, he didn't really care what anybody else thought because he's Jesus. He did whatever he wanted because he's Jesus. And he risked defilement by touching people who had leprosy. And by neglecting to wash in the Pharisees' prescribed manner, he showed complete disregard for their sanctions against so associating with certain classes of people. And that's what I love the most, is, is the disregard for anything that they said. Jesus was a rule breaker. And he was awesome about it. Because he broke these rules to show people who didn't know what love was, love. You know, you, we've got these... These sinners, everybody's a sinner. But in that day, that day and age, you know, they, they were outcast. And the Pharisees were like, no, we're not sinners. Those people are sinners. And nobody talked to them. The only people that talked to them were other sinners. So these people didn't think they had a connection at all with God, with Jesus, with any type of religious entity. They were separated from it. But Jesus bridge that gap. Jesus was here with the Pharisees and was like, you guys are boring. I'm going to go have lunch with the cool people. And so he went and had lunch with all these sinners. And when he tells this parable, I love it because he, you, can, you can break down the way that their society worked back then and, and shepherds and the sheep. And the shepherd knew that the 99 in his flock, flock, he knew that the 99 in his flock were safe because they're in the sheep's fold. 
they're going to be good together. And he can leave them for a little while while he goes out to find this one lost sheep. And you know a wolf might come up and they'll baa and run away. But they'll be good because they're all together. But then you've got the one. And you see where that math equation comes into effect, starting to play out a little bit? The one is greater than the 99. Because that shepherd left the one. He, he left for the one. And he left the 99 because that one that got away, that one that's out there lost and alone, that's the one that, that we need to be concerned about. Because in that day and age, their, their, um, their status in society and their wealth was gauged on how much livestock you have. And to lose one sheep, that's, that's money. Like, that's important. And you don't want to lose out on that. So he chased after that sheep. And he knew that it was going to be worthwhile to search diligently for that lost one because it was of high value. So when God chases after these lost people, I mean, I'm not saying he's leaving us, but he's, I mean, he's happy for us. We found him. We are, we are loving God. We're Christians. We're ready. We're, we're, we want to go to heaven. We know everything. But there's one person out there that doesn't. And God goes after him, and he leaves us. He's like, you guys are good. We'll be back in a bit. Let me go find this sheep. And that's the important thing to take away here is that it doesn't matter how many Christians are in the world. It matters how many lost people are in the world because there shouldn't be any. And it's, it's easy to understand a God who welcomes and forgives those who come back seeking mercy. Um, like the parable of the lost son. You know, the, the brother was upset and angry, but you, you kind of get an understanding of when that son came back, apologizing to his father, you know, telling him everything that happened and seeking mercy. You know, it's kind of easy to understand that the father was like, you're welcome home, son. I'll take care of you. I forgive you. But that's not what our God does. And some of you are out there like, yes, he does. Well, not really. Because he doesn't wait for you to come back. He goes running out the door. After he puts on his shoes as he's taking, out the, taking off out the door, he's putting a boot on at a time while he's moving. He's like, hold on, I'll be right back. I got to go get this sheep. But here's the best part. He doesn't just go out looking. What does it say? It says that he joyfully placed the sheep on his shoulders and carried it back. Joyfully. What kind of God goes after people that don't want anything to do with him? And when he finds them, he joyfully lifts them up and carries all of their burdens our God does that. And it's awesome. And we should be doing the same thing. We're Christians. We should be going out today and we should be joyfully taking on the burdens of those that are lost and helping them through whatever they need. Because that's what we're called to do as Christians. And that's what God did when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. 
Jesus took our burdens on his shoulders when he died on that cross and rose three days later. We should be taking on the same burdens of our brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus Christ and showing them the love that was shown to us. I did a sermon a couple months ago. Um, It's not often I get to preach, but I did a sermon a couple months ago, and while I was working on this one, um, I was talking to Roger, and I told him, I was like, man, I keep wanting to use, like, the same verses. And um, I keep wanting to use the same points. And I got to thinking about it, and I was like, the reason I keep wanting to use those same verses and those same points and everything that I used in my first sermon is because my first sermon was built on loving others and serving others. And as Christians, that's what we should be doing. And it finally clicked. It's like, well, every sermon is going to be built around those same verses because that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be loving others. And we're supposed to be serving others. And, and we, should be, we should be following Restorer's mission of creating disciples by relentlessly loving God, recklessly loving people, and radically loving the world. And, and that should be it. I mean, yeah, we've got our Bibles, and we need to be in them. We need to be all about our Bibles. It tells us everything we need to do. It tells us how to love God. It tells us how to love people. But if we're loving God, and we're loving people, and we're loving the world, what more is there? If we do that, we're getting God's message across to everybody. Everybody knows. If we're loving people the way that God loved us, that's all there is to it. So there's, there's three ways that I, want to, um, that I want everybody to apply this. And going back to the math thing, just briefly, math's got this really cool thing. Um, it's called pi. But even better than pi is real pi. <laughs> um, so now we're off the math thing. You guys are stressing. You're like, oh, more math. <laughs> Terrible. So the first P, well, the only P. The P in pi stands for pray. And um, we should be praying all the time. But here's the thing, and I struggle with this. And, um, and I've, I've talked to a couple people about this last week. I'm not the only person that struggles with this. I struggle praying. And here's what I mean by that. I get up in the morning, and I take a shower, and I pray in the shower. You know, sometimes I'll, when something's popping in my head, I pray for it. I'll pray before I eat a meal. I'll listen to a worship song on the way to work, and I'll pray. But I don't just pray. Sometimes I have a hard time finding the time to sit down and just pray. Because every other time that I'm praying, I'm doing something else. I'm driving, taking a shower. I'm trying to hurry up and get through it so I can stuff my face with Cracker Barrel. But I don't spend a lot of time just praying. And that's one of my shortcomings. And it's something I've been working hard on. But I'll tell you what, sometimes it can be hard. Life gets hectic. Sometimes you don't want to sit down and pray. We got to make time to pray. 
And we should be praying that God should continue to work in each and every one of us and that he should be helping us find ways. We, not he should be. We should be asking him to help us find ways to reach everyone. And by everyone, I mean the sinners and the Pharisees, not just us. We should be praying that we're going to become everything that God wants us and needs us to be. That's what we should be praying for. So sit down every once in a while. Maybe wake up 15, 20 minutes early. I know that's rough. Mornings are terrible. Grab a cup of coffee. Get through it. Don't grab a cup of coffee because then you're doing something while you're praying. I take that back. Just sit down and pray. The I is going to be invite. I don't know about y'all, but 10 o'clock, Sunday morning, Jesus is coming, right? Restore church. I love it. I love being here. I'm ready for it. I'm ecstatic. It's like I wake up Sunday morning, and it's like, whoo, got to go set up that stage. But you know what? It's all going to be worth it because I'm going to get to see beautiful faces all morning long, get to sing about Jesus, learn about Jesus, have a blast, right? Am I the only person that wakes up and comes to Restore just because I want to? You guys, like, we're all adults in here, right? You guys don't wake up and you're like, oh, mom said I should go to church today. Like, I come because I want to, because I'm excited. So when I do things that are exciting in my life, I invite people. Are we inviting people? Because that's what, that's what you do when something's exciting. When you love something, you invite other people to do it. So we should be, and, and once again, I'm guilty. I'm not singling nobody out here. I could be guilty of this, and I am. We should be inviting everybody to church. And, you know, maybe they're not going to come to Restore. That's okay. But they, you should be inviting somebody to church. And not just to church, but you should be inviting them to hear about Jesus. And you should be inviting them to love God and to love each other. And to love the world, you should be inviting them to join the call of everyone. Because we're called to love each other. And if they don't get the invite, are they going to know that? And the E is for engage. Engaging people is going to be time-consuming. It's going to ask for commitments of your time. It's going to ask for commitments of your talents and your treasure. It's going to take a lot of sacrifice. But engaging people is really where it's at. I mean, if you're praying for them and you're inviting them and then you engage with them, it's a step-by-step process. You pray for them. You invite them, and then once they're invited, you engage with them. You're making an impact. Because when you engage with them, I'm not talking about just taking them out for lunch. I mean, if that's what you do, cool, you do you. But engage with them on an emotional level and a spiritual level. Bring your Bible to lunch and just set it on the table. 
if they don't know Jesus, if they're not a, if they're not a Christian, they're not they're not a churchgoer. You set that Bible on the table and you just leave it there. Every time you go to lunch, do that. I guarantee you, one of those days, they're gonna ask you, "Hey man, why you bring that Bible to lunch with you? Why does that Bible sit on the table?" And that's your opportunity. That's the open door to engage them in a conversation about Jesus Christ and the love that's shown to each and every one of us. And it's an exciting opportunity to get to share that love. Jacksonville's got roughly 80,000 people in it. Imagine if we went out there and we prayed, we invited, and we engaged those people. 25% of those people, the last census was taken, 25% admitted to being spiritual. That's spiritual. That's not Christian. That's spiritual. So that includes other religions out there. And I don't have the statistic for how many Christians are there. But that leaves at least 60,000 people in your neighborhood, right here in Jacksonville, North Carolina, that don't know God. So imagine the impact that we could be making if everybody in here went and prayed for somebody and invited them to church and then engaged with them. A couple months down the road, maybe they're attending church regularly. They might not be here. Maybe it's First Baptist. Maybe it's some other church here in Jacksonville. Maybe they PCS somewhere. But that seed is there. And then they're going to hear a sermon, and they're going to be like, I need to find my one. I'm part of the 99 now. Let me find my one. And it's like a trickle. It just trickles down. It's a domino effect. It's one after another, after another, after another. Because right now, we're not doing that. We as a church are not doing that. And it's, hard, it's a hard pill to swallow sometimes. But if we were doing that, we wouldn't be in this theater right now. We'd be in the big theater down the hall. And we'd have like three or four services. Well, no, because then we'd just run into movie times. But you get what I'm saying. There'd be a church on every block. There'd be churches all over the place. People wouldn't know what church to go to. We'd be like, oh, this one's great. That one's cool. This one serves coffee. That one serves sweet tea. You'd have so many options. But we're not doing that. So I encourage everybody in here, and please ask me. If you see me, if you see me throughout the week, or if you feel like shooting me a text message or a message on Facebook, say, hey, man, have you prayed for somebody today? Have you invited somebody to church? Have you engaged with anybody? Keep up with it. Hold each other accountable. Hold me accountable. I encourage every single, every single person in here to pray about somebody, to invite somebody, and to engage so we can find that one lost sheep and bring it back to the flock. Dear God, I want to thank you for this wonderful opportunity that we have to be here and to praise your name and to sing your glory. And Lord, I just want to thank you for going after those ones not in your flock, Lord. And thank you for sitting down with sinners 
and tax collectors and teaching us what it means to really and truly love people. In your name we pray. Amen. So, I honestly don't know how long I've been up here. I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, Communion's going to be a little weird today. It's going to be a little bit of a logistical nightmare, but that's okay because you guys are all awesome people and you're smart and we're going to knock it out of the park. Has everybody got their cards? I want you to pull them out. They're perforated right down the middle. Go ahead and tear that apart. Mine ripped clean, so that's the first time that's ever done that. Hope it did it for you. You got two. You've got one that says my one, and you've got one that says Christ's one. And what I want you to do is on my one, write down the name of somebody you know that doesn't know the love of Jesus Christ. And hold on to that. And on Christ's one, I want you to write your name. And, you know, some of you might be new to Restore. Um, Some of you, you might not feel comfortable doing this. Some of you might not know the love of Jesus Christ today. And that's okay. If you want, you can still write down somebody else's name on my one. If you want, you can write down your name on both of them. And if you want, you don't have to do this at all. Ain't nobody going to force you to do it. Nobody's going to judge you. We're here to love you. So don't feel pressure to do this if you don't want to. But I want you to take that one, that my one, and I want you to put it somewhere where you're going to see it throughout the week. Put it in the visor of your car. Tape it up to the mirror. Maybe on the back of the door before you walk out every morning. I think I'm going to put mine on my computer at work. And that's going to be your one that you're going to pray for, and you're going to invite, and you're going to engage with. But this one, Christ's one, the one with your name on it, this is what I'm excited for. Christ already sacrificed everything for you. He already sacrificed everything for them. But you're here this morning. And you know about that love. And he hung on a cross. So when you get up and take your communion this morning, once again, if you're not comfortable doing this, don't feel pressure. Um, we're, we're, we're called to remember, and we do communion every Sunday. And we're called to remember that, that Christ hung on that cross. And that bread that's there is to remind of, of us of his body. And the juice is to remind us of the cups. The juice is to remind us of his blood. But when you go to get that juice and that bread, along the stairs, there are wooden planks and hammers and nails. And I want to take your name. I want you to take your name, and I want you to nail it into that wooden board. Because all of your burdens are already hanging on the cross. And it's a beautiful thing. 
So if you're new to Restore this morning, would you please stand up and lead the way? And everybody else, feel free to follow as we go into communion.